morning. Welcome to Cultivate. I'm glad that you're here. Um, we are, uh, it, what are we doing? We're in the middle of a series, right, um, uh, called Something to Believe in, and uh, we are outlining for the church, for all of us, and uh, hopefully beyond our church to our community, what it is that we believe and why it matters. And so last week we talked about uh, the Trinity, and I have to thank Sue Meserol. Uh, for this week and the enormous glass of chocolate milk that I received when I went to, uh, to visit with them this week. And if you don't get the joke, then you probably weren't here last week and you need to catch up on the podcast. Um, but uh, somehow chocolate milk relates to the Trinity. And the youth tried to upstage me with a better illustration um, and uh, I, I don't agree with that at all. So... Uh, <laughs> but they gave it a shot, so I, I give them that for trying. Um, but we are outlining the core beliefs of our church um, because we believe that the eight things that we're talking about during the course of this series matter more than every other belief that we could conjure up or find in the Bible. And so we believe that there are a lot of things out there for us to believe, um, but there are things of essential natures and there are things of non-essential natures. And so what we're talking about in eight weeks' time are the essential things, uh, the things that really do matter, that make life worth living, that make church worth pursuing, which make mission worth achieving. And so these are the things that we're talking about over the next eight weeks. And it's a very important time for us as a church to be doing this. Um, I mentioned this last week, but I'll mention it again. Each week we're going to be posting... Uh, the conversation that we're talking about for that particular week up on um, the city. Um, It's kind of our new online network where we get to uh, get connected and help one another live life together. Many of our life groups have begun using the city. Um, We're going to do a training this afternoon with some of our leaders and answer some questions. So if you're wondering why is it that I haven't gotten on it yet, it's because we haven't launched the whole thing yet. And we're going to actually do that next week once we have everyone kind of heading down the same road together. Um, But what we're doing with this Something to Believe series is that we're given the opportunity to respond to each week's topic. And so I'm inviting everyone to post on there um, what it is that this particular week means to you, how it's impacted your life, maybe how it's changed the way that you think about God or think about life. Um, And so the point is for us to get a conversation going. The other thing that we're doing is uh, talking about this through our life groups. And so if you're interested in getting a life group, a number of our groups have openings now, and we're ready um, to increase the size of those groups and ready to do so. So we are taking the message that's given on Sunday morning, and we're applying it and discussing it in greater detail. So if you have questions about how all this works and comes together and you're just unsure about you know, the things that we believe and we're kind of talking over your head, then that is the place to ask questions. It's a great environment to do so. Let me, ask, let me just say this. What we're not doing um, through this series is trying to prove what we believe. And so if you're thinking, okay, we're going to be talking about the things that we believe and we're going to be trying to prove them factually based on life or science or any number of things, then you're probably going to miss the point of this whole series. Um, uh, There's a great quote by a guy named Anselm of Canterbury. He lived in the 9th century, and he says this, 
I do not seek to understand in order to believe, but I believe in order to understand. For I believe this, unless I believe, I will not understand. Um, In other words, it's in believing that we understand, not the other way around. It's when we believe that things start to make sense. It's why it's called a statement of faith. Because faith is involved in believing and belief is involved in understanding. These are crucial elements. Um, C.S. Lewis kind of puts it this way. I don't believe in Christianity because I can see it. I believe in Christianity because by, by believing in it, I see everything else. It's like the sun. I don't look at the sun and say, there's the sun. I know the sun exists because by its light, I see everything else. So that's exactly what we're trying to do, is look at the things that are our sun, and we happen to be talking this morning about the Son of God, and, uh, and how it illuminates life for us. So can you guess what we're talking about this morning? Jesus. Yes, exactly. Um, the second of our eight core beliefs at Cultivate Church is this. Jesus is the unique Son of God. He is co-equal with the Father. Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, lived a sinless human life, and offered himself as the perfect sacrifice, atoning for the sins of all people by dying on a cross. He arose from the dead after three days to demonstrate God's victory over sin and death. He ascended to heaven where he now rules over creation. Jesus will return again to reign as King of kings and Lord of lords and consummate God's kingdom on earth. I just unloaded a whole lot on you. (laughs) Um, There is a lot to say about Jesus, right? Um, Much of the Bible takes page after page to describe Jesus, to talk about him, uh, to to talk about why he was here and what he exists for. Many of Jesus' sayings and what he did while he was here on earth are outlined through the Bible. There is a lot to say. And so this morning, the reason why I highlight life groups is because we're not going to get to all of it. Um, There are just some things that we're not going to be able to cover. But I do want to frame for us what it is that we believe about Jesus at the core of who he is and why it does matter for our lives. And I'll start it off this way. Um, I kind of joked in the promotion of this series when I did the video that at uh, the ripe old age of 19, I was sort of sitting down to write the chapters of my memoir. And um, it's, it's funny now, right? It wasn't then. And the reason it wasn't then is because I was seriously thinking, okay, there's not much left of life to experience at this age. Um, that, that I had somehow arrived at some kind of understanding. And uh, the thing that made it so sad, I think, is because as I was writing out the chapter, the star of every chapter was who? It was me. The entire story was about me. Every chapter, I'm the sole star in it. Everyone else, my, my parents, my sister, my friends, my teachers, all the people that I interacted with in life, they were who? They were supporting characters in my play, right? Um, it seems kind of silly, but don't we live life that way a lot? D- don't we tend to live life as if we are the star character in our own play, everyone else is sort of scenery, and uh, if they would just play the right role in our play, then everything would just go smoothly. And, and the moment somebody else tries to come in and take the stardom from us, that's when we have problems, because you're interrupting my play. 
You know? It, you're, you're, you're taking the spotlight off of me. Um, it, it's not, you know, thinking about my life in Jesus. It wasn't that I didn't believe in Jesus. I believed that he existed all the way through that point in my life. I believed that he was here on this earth, that he was a man, that he taught great things. I believed, because I grew up with some kind of church background, that he died and then he rose again and ascended into heaven and was living in heaven with God. All of those things I believed. I believed that he was a man and I believed that he was God. And yet, he was a supporting actor in my play. Right? He wasn't the star. He was a sideline actor. And he only played a role so long as he could benefit the main actor and move the main actor to the next scene in the play. If he wasn't helping the play at all, then he wasn't in the scene. Right? It's only when he was helping the main actor that he came and, and did what he was supposed to do until the time that I was finished with him. Um, so let me ask this. Last week, I, uh, I, I talked about going to meet with God in a coffee shop. Do you remember that? So I said, imagine that you are driving in your car and you're going to meet somebody at a coffee shop to have a conversation. And on the way, imagine that that person that you're going to meet with is God. And I know in my life group, it conjured up all kinds of discussion as to what that conversation would look like and what is going on inside of us as we're driving our car there. Does that conversation change at all if I replace the word God with Jesus? Does it change for you at all if I say you are going to meet Jesus? And that really, uh, life is actually about him and you're a supporting actor in his play rather than the other way around. Does that change things for you? The reason that I kind of frame it this way is because what I'm going to be talking about uh, in the rest of my time is that Jesus is the main actor. He is what history is about. The Bible talks about this over and over again. When he was here on earth, that was the climax of the story. And we are all supporting actors in his play, not the other way around. I know it's tough for, for you to believe that. I really do. It was hard for me, too. And it's still hard for me because I still want to be the main actor. Um, so let's talk about him. Uh, let's see where we got this uh, idea of him being the star of the show and, and us being supporting actors. Uh, just like with the Trinity, there are equally true statements when, we, when we're talking about Jesus that need to be held in balance with one another if we're going to get the story right. So if we're going to talk about Jesus as who he really is, we need to be able to balance a couple things in order to describe him because the Bible talks about Jesus in primarily two ways. And here's why I'm not going to get to all the other stuff that happens to be in the statement of faith because it really boils down to this. Um, it talks about him in two ways. Jesus was a man and Jesus was divine. Two equally true statements about who Jesus is that need to be kept in tension or in balance with one another if we're going to view him correctly. And when we view one over and above the other, that's when we get a distorted view of Jesus. Because if I consider Jesus was just a man, a historical figure that lived his life at some point in the past, now he can become a supporting actor in my play. 
If I think that he's just divine and not really a person, if he's just God sort of with flesh on, but I don't associate that with who I am in my life, then he can become a supporting actor in my life today. Jesus comes in when I need some divine help, and he floats away when I don't anymore, right? When we hold those two things in balance, now the show becomes about him and not about me. And so let's look at these two things. First, Scripture says that Jesus was a man. Um, Peter says this in Acts 2.22. He's talking to people who aren't yet convinced that Jesus was who he said he was. And he says this, Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man, accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. So he's telling them, look, based on our common experience, we know, we've seen, we've heard him, we've talked with him, we've, we've walked with him. Jesus was a man. He actually did live on the earth and experienced all the things that we experience as human beings here has vast implications, which we're going to talk about in a minute. But Jesus was a real person. He lived. He died. He had friends and family. He ate. He had pie contests. <laughs> he drank. And he did some miracles and said some cool things along the way, which we should probably pay attention to. He was a real person. But not only that, Scripture says that Jesus was divine. Um, Matthew starts out the gospel this way, quoting from an Old Testament scripture in Isaiah 7.14. Matthew says this, All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him what? Emmanuel, which means what? It means God with us. So in other words, God had a formula. He had a plan for the earth. That plan involved sending someone here, which we would ultimately call Emmanuel. The bridge is this. It was written originally in the Old Testament about somebody that Isaiah had no idea who it was going to be. God was just saying, look, there's going to be someone here. His name's going to be Emmanuel. He's going to change everything. And they're going to call him God with us. God's going to intersect the earth. He had no idea who it was. Matthew, reading the Old Testament, thinking about Jesus, connects those two dots and goes, this is how I'm going to start out the story about Jesus. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. Literally, God in the flesh. God intersects the story of human history and says, I'm going to walk among them. That is God among us. That is Jesus. And so we need to balance these two things in tension with one another if we're going to understand them correctly. And the early, uh, the early Christians, the early church, um, were really struggling with this. How do we do this? And without a real clear understanding of how to do that, all kinds of offshoots started happening within the church because people had different ideas about how it worked out. Because everyone had this main question on their mind. How in the world can Jesus be both God and human at the same time? This does not make sense. We have no experience of this but we need to be able to understand it if we're going to worship him correctly. Um, and so they gathered, the church did, in 325 A.D. and uh, put together something called the Creed of Chalcedon, which said this, Jesus is fully God and fully human. Another way to put it is 
He is 100% and 100%. So if you're doing the math here, it's really 1 plus 1 equals 1. One person, two natures, fully man, fully God, all wrapped up in one person. And the term that they used to describe this was something called the hypostatic union. Uh, very technical term. Sounds like an 80s synthesizer band, you know. Um, but it, it, it shows up actually only four times in the New Testament. It's from the Greek word hypostasis. Um, and the one time that it's used to talk about God, it says this. Uh, Hebrews 1, verse 3. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his, what? Being. Hypostasis. The exact representation of his being. Some translations will say nature. Sustaining all things by the power of his word. And so, let me kind of try to sketch something out that might help us. Um, Because I know how much you love these. (laughs) They're more for me than for you. I just like drawing. Um, So what it says is, Jesus was the exact representation of God's being. So if you think about the nature of God, God exists uh, as he is, who he is, in in one sense. So I'm going to there aren't multiple gods, but there, there is one God. And so think of this as his nature, who he is. He, he is omnipresent. He, he is never changing. He is always loving. He is holy. Think of all the attributes that, that have to do with God the Father. All throughout the Old Testament, you see over and over again, God is sovereign. Um, at the same time, we know there are human beings. And human beings have certain characteristics innate to them too, right? And so down here, what I would say is that there are certain humans. Humans are what? Finite. They have limits, don't we? Um, None of us, as far as I know, has been around for more than 100 years or so. Right? Today. (laughs) Don't point at your wife. (laughs) Um, But we're finite in our, not just in time, but in our capacity, right? We can only learn so much. We can only do so much. We're not in every place at one time. Contrary to popular belief, none of us are sovereign. None of us have absolute control over your life, right? I hope you're nodding your head at this point. If you think you do, we need to talk afterwards, okay? None of us have absolute control over our lives. There are things that happen to us, through us, by us, for us, that we have absolutely no control over. We are finite. We are different from God in almost every respect. There is one person, one person alone, who embodies both attributes. That is both infinite in his capacity for knowledge, love, understanding, caring, wisdom, everything. Who has existed from eternity past to eternity present. Who has been present with the Father and the Spirit throughout all eternity. 
and yet at one point in time was born in a manger to a virgin who was extremely poor. Think of this. A person who has everything innate to who he is comes down and walks among us and decides, I'm going to have limits. That's an incredible thing. I'm going to be limited in my capacity. I can't be everywhere at once. I'm going to be limited in the, in the number of people who I can love. I'm going to be limited in the amount of time that I'm here. I'm going to be limited in every way. Jesus fills this space between both realities. He is 100% God and 100% human. And the Bible talks about him in two ways. And Jesus likes to use these two terms to talk about himself. He says, I am, what, the son of, what's one of them? Son of man? What's the other one? I'm the son of God. Son of man. Jesus is, for all intent and purposes, the perfect human being. He represents humanity before God. And so you can think of it this way. Jesus, in his nature, draws a line from humans to God. That's what it means for Jesus to be the Son of God. On the other hand, Jesus represents on earth Emmanuel, God with us. And so in every respect, he represents God to humanity. Those two functions that Jesus plays are in tension with one another. And he is the only person to have ever lived a life that combines those two aspects. Here's why it's important. 400 church leaders gathered in a place to hammer out this understanding. And it wasn't because they had nothing better to do. It's because if we think that Jesus is only human and not God, then he is a well-meaning teacher that had a lot of great things to, to say, but ultimately died a death like everyone else, didn't rise from the dead, didn't do anything special, has no ability to represent us before God. If Jesus is only God and was kind of a spirit being that sort of hovered around but didn't have real body, didn't have real limitations to who he is, then he has no ability to represent God to us because he has no idea what it's like to really be human. It's only when you combine these two things that it makes a difference for us. And so what I want to do is talk about the implications for you and for me. Does that sound good? Enough with this chart and uh, graph and uh, very head knowledge stuff. What does it really mean? I'm going to put it into two categories, Jesus being fully God and then Jesus being fully human. Let's talk about him being fully God first. This is why it matters. If Jesus is fully God, then he alone deserves our worship. He alone deserves our worship. Why? Because he's the only one that can mediate between the two. Matthew says it this way, um, and you probably may know this story where Peter goes and sees Jesus walking on the water, right? They go out in a boat, and the storm starts, and they're all afraid. And then through the rain, they're looking out onto the water, and they see this figure starting to walk across the water. 
And uh, they call out to it. At first, they think it's a ghost, right? And then they call out to it, and they figure out it's Jesus. And Peter, out of nowhere, sort of says, Lord, if it's really you, let me come out to you. And Jesus says, all right, get out of the boat. And Peter starts walking towards him. But in the middle, he kind of takes his eyes off of Jesus and starts looking at the waves and starts to sink. Um, after all this had happened, Jesus rescues him. They both get into the boat. Peter says this, when they had climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying this, truly, you are the Son of God. If Jesus is the Son of God, then he alone deserves our worship. And the problem is, as Calvin puts it, our hearts are idle factories. We like to do everything possible to worship something other than the Creator God. We find anything and everything to take and put it above Jesus and say, I'm going to worship that rather than Jesus, right? Idols can become all kinds of things. They can be our kids. They can be our spouse. They can be success. They can be other people's thoughts and aspirations for our lives. We can become idols for other people. We like to take everything that we can and flip it around so that we worship it rather than God. Jesus is the only one that deserves our worship. Secondly, not only is he the only one that deserves our worship, he, on, he alone is your source of life. He alone is your source of life. Um, Simon Peter says it this way. He says, he answered him saying, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of life the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Are you looking for what God might have to say in your life? The way that God speaks most frequently is through his word. And the Bible talks about Jesus as being the word of God. It says that formerly God chose to speak through the prophets, that God sent one after another, Ezekiel, Isaiah, all these different people into the nation of Israel to talk about God, to say what he wanted him to say. And, and essentially the Bible says all that time, that, that time when all those people were speaking all those things, that time is gone. The way that I choose to speak to my people today is through Jesus. And so if we're in our lives looking for another route, if we think, okay, Jesus has some good things to say, but I want to try something else because it's getting kind of old and stale over here. God would say, whatever you discover apart from Jesus isn't my word. That's a, that's a tough reality sometimes to think because we want to discover what it is that God has for us. And sometimes we're willing to try just about anything other than Jesus to discover it. Jesus is the only source of life. We're going to sing a song in just a minute called it's all, it's all because of Jesus I'm alive. And we really mean it. We really mean it. He is the source of life. He is the hero of the story. I am a supporting cast member to him. Thirdly, if Jesus is fully God, uh, then he above all is proof that God loves you. Think about this. God can talk, when, when you're talking with your kids, I'll put it in this, this fashion, um, 
you say, you know, I love you a whole lot, right? What communicates love more than anything else? Affection. What do you have to do to show affection? Yeah. You need to be near them, though, in order to hug and kiss, right? Your presence proves that you love them. The, the thing that, that shows love more than anything else is when somebody takes time out of their day to spend time with you, correct? The more that you love a person, the more you want to spend time with them. You'll, you'll rearrange your calendar. You'll push things off because you just got to spend time with that person, right? It's the way that affection is shown through the ministry of presence. I was thinking about this guess a month or two ago, when at a funeral, what, what, what people say more than anything else, I mean, you could say anything that you want to a person, but, but their thank you in return is thanks for being here. Thanks for being here. You don't have to say a thing. You just throw your arms around that person and communicate love by your very presence with them. How did God prove his love to us? came down from heaven to earth and spent 30 years with us. That communi- to me, that communicates presence. That communicates his love in, in a way that words cannot express. Jesus came and he walked among us. John 3.16, a verse so familiar to us, says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God so loved the world that he freely gave what was so costly to him. And Jesus came from heaven to earth. We call that the incarnation. God comes in the flesh to walk among us, to communicate just how much he loves us and how much he wants us back. Not only, though, is Jesus fully God, he is fully human. And so we need to kind of outline a couple things in regard to that, too. If Jesus is fully human, then this is really important. He knows what it's like to be you. This is really, really important. Because if Jesus is just some floating spirit dude who who is God sort of here on earth but has no idea what it's like to be human then there is no reason that you should place your faith in him because he has no idea what it's like to be you. But the Bible paints a different picture, and it says in Hebrews 4 this, Let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Why? For we do not have a high priest, talking about Jesus, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way. This phrase is so important just as we are, yet without sin. Don't you love that, that you have the opportunity to serve and know a God who is just as you are, yet without sin? Just as you are, that he has walked on this earth and knows everything there is to know about being human. When you go to somebody, when you have trouble in life, who are the people that minister to you the most? 
if you've been through a divorce, who understands you best? It's not somebody who's married, right? It's somebody who's been there. Right? When you've experienced cancer, who is best able to meet and understand what you need in that specific point in time? It's someone who's had the same very disease that you've had. What the Bible is saying is Jesus has had the same disease that we have, and yet he's without sin. He is just as we are, and because of that, he is able to understand every situation, trial, adversity, joy that we experience in our lives. He knows exactly what it's like to be you, and not just you, but you at your worst. I'm willing to bet that Jesus has been tempted further than you've been tempted, that he's experienced more pain than you've experienced. You think of the way that he died. That's who Jesus is. He understands who we are just as we are. The reason this matters is that, because, is, is that Jesus understands us more than our moms, more than our spouses, more than a, a best friend or a counselor. He knows exactly what it's like to be you. Because of that, he alone is uniquely equipped to walk with you through every area of life. He alone is equipped to do that. Secondly, this. If Jesus is fully human, then he alone can bring you back to God. Not only does he know what it's like to be you, he knows what it takes to fix you. He alone can bring you back to God. 1 Timothy 2.4 says this, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all men. What does a mediator do? Brings two parties together, right? So two sides can't work it out for whatever reason, and so a third party needs to come in and resolve the situation for those two people in order to bring reconciliation. And what the Bible says about Jesus is that there was an unreconcilable difference between God the Father in heaven and humans on earth, and it needed a mediator in between in order to resolve the situation. One person, Christ Jesus, the only mediator that God has ever sent for you and for me. What that tells me is that he is the only one sufficiently able to bring me back to God, to experience what it's like to be in relationship with God. If I look to any other mediator, if I try to fill that gap with any other thing or any other person, I will be sorely wrong. And my life will head in the opposite direction of what God intends for me. There is one mediator, and it's Jesus. So, kind of talking about all this. Have you ever gotten this question before? You Christians are always talking about Jesus. I mean, really, if you just talk about something else for a little while... I'd be more than happy to come. <laughs> Maybe I'm stereotyping a little bit, but I've gotten that kind of reaction. Okay, okay, I get it. You guys are all about Jesus, but really, really, 
really. I mean, all the time, you know, can't we talk about something else every once in a while? But do you see, if Jesus really is the only one that that has mediated this gap, if he really is the only person who is truly God and truly human at the same time, and yet offers himself to us as the mediator, bring us back to God, why in the world would we talk about anything else? Right? Because everything is a function of who he is and what he does. That's why we're talking about him second. Because after understanding the Trinity, the, the next thing that we need to understand and comprehend as a church and as individuals is Jesus is God. Because of his identity as two natures united in one person, Jesus demonstrates an unparalleled magnificence, and he is the only one that can satisfy our longings. Here's what this tells me as a church. So I'll apply this to where we are as Cultivate Church. Um, Because he is human and because he came to earth, then the, the, the best thing that we can do as a body, as a community, as a people, is to communicate love to other people by going and being present with them. Correct? If that's how God did it for us, that's how we do it for other people. And so, as a church, we want to do everything that we can to not just do life here in a building, we want to do life out in the world. And we want to engage people and talk with people and communicate God's love, not first with words, but first with action. And so you may go up to your neighbor and ask them if there's anything that you can do for them because you're available. That's, that's what God did for us. He was available for us. He came in the flesh. And so we can go and be available for those that need help in our lives. Secondly, because he is God, we point to him and not to us. And so we go and we are present in the lives of other people. We communicate love with our presence. But ultimately, the best thing that we can do for them is to point them in the direction of Jesus so that they can be reconciled to God. Those two things, if we get those two things right, being present with other people and pointing people to the source of life, we will thrive as a church. When one of those two things is amiss, we will be leading people in the wrong direction. Correct? That's what I learned from it. So let's go back and look at our core belief again, and, uh, and then we'll show a short video. Uh, Jesus is the unique Son of God. He is co-equal with the Father. Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, lived a sinless life, and offered himself as the perfect sacrifice, atoning for the sins of all people by dying on a cross. He arose from the dead after three days to demonstrate God's victory over sin and death. He ascended to heaven where he now rules over creation. Jesus will return again to reign as King King of kings and Lord of lords and to consummate God's kingdom on earth. That is good for us to remember that Jesus is both fully God and fully man. What I told you last week is that we are going to not just talk about it with words, but we want to hear stories of people whose lives have been changed based on what we're talking about each week. And so last week we talked about the Trinity, and Fred was able to share from his personal experience how that belief impacts his life. 
this week, uh, my wonderful wife volunteered uh, to, to talk about how Jesus has impacted her life. And so I'm uh, very happy to share that with you now. So in reading over um, our core belief about Jesus this week, I was trying to think of one way that it's affected my life. And to be honest, it was hard. Because everything that we believe about Jesus is something that I have known, you know, since I was a kid, growing up in the church, reading through creeds and Bible stories, and in a way, thinking about all that Jesus is kind of becomes rote in your heart, because you've recited it over and over again, or at least I have. So I really had to think about it, and think about who Jesus is in my heart, Um, And I think the one thing that stands out above all else is that Jesus chose to come to this earth, to be on this planet, and to live as a man. He could have stayed in heaven with God and with the Spirit, and he didn't need to come here. But because he loves us so much, um, he decided to do that and to come to this world and experience a lot of heartache. And in that, we are able to also look back and we're blessed to have the Bible so we can read about the stories of him interacting with people that he loved and also interacting with people who needed to hear the truth, um, however difficult that would be to hear. So I think the one thing about all that we know that Jesus Um, who he was and who he is the one thing that's really affected my life is knowing that Jesus chose to come here to experience burdens and sorrows and also joys so that we know that our God is not just ruling from afar but he has been here and shared experiences that we have so that he knows exactly how to comfort us when we need it And I think he also shares in our joys because he's also experienced them. So um, that's changed my life, and I'm so thankful for it, and I'm thankful that we're able to go back and see um, all these different experiences and situations that Jesus had when he was here, and that we can see how much Jesus had compassion on the people that needed him the most. And that he saw the hearts of of man and not just um, their actions. So in that, I'm confident that no matter what I'm thinking, um, no matter what I say, Jesus knows my heart and my motives and that he loves me uh, no matter what those are.